Listener supported. WNYC Studios. From the pages of The New Yorker, this is the weekly comment podcast. In Another Race to Run, Amy Davidson Sorkin writes about the complexities of the Senate race. This summer, a Dallas Morning News poll asked Texas Democrats to pick their favorite from a list of declared candidates for the 2020 U.S. Senate race. The winner was someone else, this shadowy figure, who garnered 19% of the vote, almost twice that of the next nearest contender, was easily recognizable. He has the tall, lanky profile of former Congressman Beto O'Rourke of El Paso. About half of those polled said that O'Rourke should drop his presidential bid and take on the Republican Senator John Cornyn, whose approval rating is in the 30s. Even Ted Cruz, whom O'Rourke almost defeated last year, does better than that. Beto, if you're listening, come home, the Houston Chronicle said in an editorial after the poll was released. Texas needs you. He heard, but said that he would not run for the Senate in any scenario. For many Democrats, that was a disappointing reply. Even if Donald Trump is defeated, the Democrats will need to pick up three Senate seats in order to gain control of the chamber and have a reasonable chance of turning their ambitious plans into legislative reality. If Trump wins, the crucial net gain will be four. The vice president gets to break any tie. There would be an added complication should either Elizabeth Warren or Bernie Sanders beat Trump. The Republican governor of the winner's state would name an interim senator until a special election could be held. The urgency cannot be overstated. Supreme Court Justices Ruth Bader Ginsburg and Stephen Breyer are both in their 80s. Whether Trump has an unimpeded choice to replace one or both of them, potentially remaking the court in his constitution-defying image could come down to a couple of seats. It's not going to be so easy to get them. Republicans have to defend 23 of the 35 Senate seats on the ballot next year, but most of them are in deep red states. There are openings for the Democrats. One has already been taken. Two weeks ago in Colorado, the former Governor John Hickenlooper abandoned his presidential campaign, and he will now run against Senator Cory Gardner, instantly turning what had been a likely Republican win into a possible Democratic one. In Georgia, an increasingly purple state, there are now two Republican seats up for grabs. David Perdue, who is a cousin of Sonny Perdue, Trump's Secretary of Agriculture, is running for re-election, and Johnny Isaacson announced last week that he would step down at the end of this year for health reasons. There is a Democrat who could be a formidable contender for either seat. Stacey Abrams, the former minority leader of the Georgia House of Representatives who narrowly lost a highly contested governor's race last year. Abrams has said that she's not interested, even though, as in Texas, no other candidate commands the field. She intends to stay focused on her voting rights work, but she did say that she would be honored to be considered as the Democrats' vice presidential candidate. In Arizona, Mark Kelly, a former Navy combat pilot and astronaut, is running against Senator Martha McSally, who lost last year to the Democrat Kirsten Sinema, but was appointed by the Republican governor to fill John McCain's seat after his death. Kelly is the husband of the former Congresswoman Gabrielle Giffords, who was seriously wounded eight years ago in a mass shooting at an event with her constituents in Tucson, which left six people dead. Since then, Giffords and Kelly have become tireless advocates for gun control. He is a well-known figure with a strong message in a state that seems ready to hear it. 
but the Democrats have their own vulnerabilities. Doug Jones won in a special election in Alabama last year against Judge Roy Moore, a far-right extremist who was accused of sexual misconduct with teenage girls. Moore has denied the allegations. Jones must now defend that seat in a state where Trump's approval rating is above 60%. Unless Moore gets the Republican nomination again, and he's trying, Jones may have a short Senate career. In Michigan, the junior Democratic senator Gary Peters is facing a strong challenger in John James, an Iraq war veteran and a businessman who, if elected, would be one of only two African-American Republicans in the Senate. In these states, and in others that may be in play, such as Iowa, Maine, and North Carolina, the essential message is the same. The candidates matter. There is no imperative at this point for every low-polling presidential contender to drop out of the race. Andrew Yang, for example, is using his candidacy to spur a conversation about universal basic income. And he is from New York, which has no Senate race next year. But if there's a chance to take a seat, why not try? Governor Steve Bullock of Montana has been asked that question many times because he could have a Hickenlooper-like effect on the Senate race in his home state. His answers boil down to this. The Senate is a miserable place, ill-suited for anyone who wants to get things done. The chamber has done much to earn that reputation, particularly under Majority Leader Mitch McConnell. Yet the present morass only underscores how important it is to elect better senators. The Senate is also a place where Montana, with a population of 1 million, has the same representation as California, with 40 million, something that might at least inspire Bullock. Even O'Rourke, for whom just last year being a senator was something of a dream job, said that running for the same office now would not be good enough for El Paso, and it would not be good enough for this country. He made that comment soon after a mass shooting in El Paso, in which the gunman targeted what he called a Hispanic invasion. On a human level, it's understandable that O'Rourke would want to directly take on Trump and his bigotry. On a political level, though, the logic is less clear. When Senator Kirsten Gillibrand left the presidential race last week, she said, It's important to know when it's not your time and to know how you can best serve your community and country. There are many fronts on which the battle against Trumpism can be fought. More broadly, too much is lost if legislative politics, as practiced in Washington, is simply scorned. The Senate can be a safety net for our democracy, and at the moment, it needs saving. Someone has to do it. That was Another Race to Run by Amy Davidson Sorkin from The New Yorker magazine's issue for September 9, 2019. Narrated by Jamie Rennell. Audible.com produces a weekly audio edition of The New Yorker. To subscribe or to download individual issues, we invite you to go to www.audible.com and enter New Yorker in the search box. To subscribe to the comment podcast, go to www.newyorker.com or to the New Yorker Room on the iTunes Store.